0: I firmly believe that it's an important thing every day to learn something new, and today, after about over a year of knowing Alex, I've learned how high his voice can actually go. That was impressive. You know, all of our conversations they never they never hit that high. Uh, that was that was amazing, especially that first song as you brought let us into worship. Uh, Alex has been with us this summer, as he was last summer as well, many of you were here for that, and we've greatly appreciated him. Next Sunday is Alex's last Sunday with us, uh, and so I know you've appreciated him being here with us, and I've appreciated him being with us, so make sure we uh, share that with him at some point before next Sunday. So uh, we have very much appreciated you, and look forward to continuing being in contact with you and getting to know you more over the years as you go back to Nova Scotia next year and finish up school. This morning, what I want to do, uh, for all of us to do is I want to do a little bit of interaction, okay? So, I am going to ask you what emotions come out for you, and you're going to tell me. Understood? No, I don't know if you understood, because most of you didn't actually say anything there. So, so I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to verbally respond. Is that understood? Okay, that's much better. Thank you so much. You understood the assignment. So, I'm going to show you two pictures, just two pictures. I don't want to make it too complicated for anybody. Uh, you know, life is complicated enough. But the first picture is this. What emotions come out in you when you see this picture? Nothing. There's no emotions. Confusion. There's confusion. You're like it's a brush. Some of you are maybe a little sad because you don't use one. But you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just had. What was someone say something? An there's annoying there. Yeah, so it's a brush. It's, it's a pretty neutral picture. Not much to think about there. little confusion. Kind of like, yeah, that's no big deal, right? Well, we've been in this series called Summertime's Sadness exploring the Psalms of Lament and trying to get in touch with some of the uh, grittier emotions that we experience, right? And so we talked about sadness, we talked about anger, we talked about uh, sorrow, and all kinds of different things. Last week we talked about our desire for, for justice and vengeance and revenge that sometimes doesn't look so pretty when things aren't going right. And a brush doesn't really bring that out in us, correct? Alright, I'm going to show you another picture. Now, what emotions does this picture bring out in you? Chaos. Looks a little chaotic. Anything else coming out to you? Confusion. Well, we look at this picture. So the first picture, we had one brush. Here we have many brushes, including uh, some shaving materials that are there. Does anyone know where this picture was taken? No. My garage looks worse than this. (laughs) This picture was taken at Auschwitz concentration camp. These brushes are what were taken from people who got on that train to die in Auschwitz. A few years ago, I got to go there and toured the site, and you walk into a room bigger than this, and they have glass walls surrounding the room, and there are, behind those walls, you can see a little bit of the depth, filled with shoes, brushes, little cans of pomade that the men had, all taken from people who were killed. Now, when you look at this picture, knowing the context, what emotions come up? Sadness? Anger? Anything else? Disgust? Absolutely. Sadness, anger, disgust? Those are all... I would say, you know, emotions are never right or wrong, but I would say those are the right emotions to have. You're disgusted to see that this happened in our history. People had these simple brushes taken from them. Why? Because their heads were shaved, and they were put into camps, and they were killed. You're sad to know this is our history, and you're angry. These are the right emotions to feel at such a visual, right? So that's the emotions. Why did you feel those emotions? Well, you felt those emotions probably because you know that what you saw in that picture, knowing the context of it, was wrong. That should not have happened in our history. Some of us maybe even have family members who have been attached to the concentration camps, or we know people who've gone through this, and we know their stories, and we know people who not only in... Nazi Germany are experiencing this. We're seeing it all over the world in various parts where different things are happening and they're just wrong. I was hearing stories recently about what's happening in India where there's this area in India where basically all these Christians in their villages are being brutalized and killed. It's just wrong. These things happen all over the world. It's just wrong. So we naturally have this understanding that something boils up in us, and we say, that's wrong, it makes me sad, it makes me disgusted, it makes me angry. None of us would say it's wrong to be angry at something so, so wrong. Is that correct? That's the proper emotion to feel. What we're going to talk about and try to understand a little is what God sometimes feels. Because sometimes we read in Scripture about God being angry, or God's wrath, and we're going to get to that today. And so sometimes we have this internal emotion, or this internal bubbling up that goes, well, this doesn't sound like God. God's loving. God's good. But would a good God not get angry at something like that? No, of course he would, because we do too. We know that there are things that it's right to be angry at. And for God, when he sees injustice, when he sees a breaking of the way things were supposed to be with him, he gets angry. The reality of our existence is that we are all affected by the existence of sin. Sin, we hear the story in Genesis chapter three, uh, 2 and 3 of Adam and Eve and how they're put in this garden and everything's good, and they choose to go their own way, and sin enters the picture, and then we're told that everything is broken because of it. Everything is cursed. Our relationship with God is broken. It's not the way it used to be. Our relationship and understanding of ourself and our neighbor, of each other and of creation, it's all broken. Thankfully, we get to know that through Jesus, he is restoring and renewing those relationships and providing healing in them. But it doesn't mean we're not affected by it. And so God has anger to this reality. He has a desire for things to be right, but they aren't always right. He has a desire for justice, but it isn't always just. He has a desire for love to continuously be expressed, but there sometimes is hate that is expressed around the world. So God naturally reacts in anger. And as we sang in that song, oh, how he loves us, that's how he loves His expression of deep divine love demonstrates itself sometimes in disgust of what is wrong with the world. And sometimes the natural understanding would be that's anger. And so we're going to spend some time in a psalm that talks a little bit about this. And so I wanted to kind of address that at the beginning to kind of get an understanding of when God is angry— When God expresses this throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is actually an expression of grace and love for a desire to things to be better than they are. Just as we get angry at seeing that picture of brushes, God gets angry at the injustice of our lives. And when we commit it, there's an equal anger and frustration towards us. But thankfully, God always offers us an opportunity to make things right. Psalm 85 is a psalm of lament, but it's also a psalm that really kind of gives us a perspective, I think, of how a community of faith, a community of believers, is to live and act in a world that is full of those injustices, where things just are not the way they're supposed to be. It's a psalm that has a desire for things to be renewed, not to go back to the way things were, but a desire for things to be made better in the way that God always intended. And so when we look at Psalm 85, we're looking at this psalm that was meant for like a church-type setting to be sung, to be uh, enjoyed together in a hopefulness of what God can do and will do when we are connected with Him. So it starts off like this. You, Lord... Showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. So let's remember this idea of God's wrath and anger. It's an expression of his love of the injustice that he sees and desires for things to be made right. And so the authors of the psalm are saying, God, you. You relented from that. You restored us. You did these things for us. And he uses the language of you forgave our iniquity and you covered all our sins. In the Hebrew language that gets used, it means he lifted their iniquity off of them. So the burden they were carrying of their sorrow, their suffering, their sins, he removed and lifted from them and covered them from it. And he relented any punishment for the wrong they've done. So the authors of the psalm are pointing out that God at in our history this is how you've acted. In our history you've given us other chances. In our history you have provided opportunities for us to not face the consequences of our actions even though we may have deserved it. This is an expression of the graciousness of God. That even in the Old Testament where sometimes we when we don't We aren't too familiar with the Scripture. We see God is kind of very angry in the Old Testament and very nice and loving in the New Testament. But even in the Old Testament, there is this gracious, loving God who's the same God that's in the New Testament who says this is what he did. He didn't give them what they deserved. This is an expression of grace ahead of time. So the author of the Psalms expressing this saying, this is my memory, this is my prayer, this is what I know happened, that you've been there for us. And he says, This restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. So the authors of the Psalm have expressed that they remember the time when God has already done this. They know their story. They know that God hasn't always uh, treated them unkindly. They know that God has been gracious to them. And he says, well, God, we could use that right now. We could use that right now. Like, are you always going to be mad at us? So whatever's going on in their context and their moments, they're feeling like God is absent from their presence. There's something, a disconnect going on. It could be something of their own doing, as often is the case if you read the stories of of ancient Israel. They often don't follow God. They often break their covenant with God, meaning their agreement with him, their deep sacred agreement that they're not supposed to break about how they're to worship him and to treat each other. Over and over again, they break this agreement. And over and over again, they end up getting themselves to face their own consequences of this, which usually ends up people invading them or killing them or torturing them. And they often end up crying out to God, just like this psalm, and say, God, I remember when it was better. Could you come back? Whatever their context, whatever their situation may be, they're facing this reality where God seems absent and they express it saying, God, are you always going to be mad at us? It's kind of like God's giving them the silent treatment. Like, where is God right now? We're going through this. I don't know why. Why is he not there? He says, but we remember, we remember when you were. We remember when you weren't demonstrating your rightful anger. Will it come again? Which I think is an honest question. Sometimes we have experiences in life where things don't go the way we hoped. Maybe it's a situation at work where you get into some kind of conflict with your co-workers and things just seem to spiral out of control and go downhill and you're like, well, wh- where's God in the midst of this? Like, things are just going wrong. God's always been there for me. Why is he not here right now? Or maybe it's in a relationship that you have, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship where you're like, well, we everything was good and now it's not. God, where are you in this context? Or maybe it's in a more of a global scale of the realities of this world where you see things happening and going, God, where are you in the suffering these people are experiencing? It's a natural, normal response to say, I'm not sure where God is. God, are you mad at us? God, are you angry in this situation? And that is the response of the the psalmist here. Wondering, where is God in the midst of this? Why is this happening again? But remember, there was a time... Remember there was a time when your anger wasn't being expressed towards us? Remember there was a time where you shield us? Remember? So he starts with this, this prayer, this opening remark of remembering how God has been, and then he offers this plea of, God, does this still have to happen? Does this still have to happen? And I think this is, a, again, a natural response then what this psalmist does here is he offers a plan on how to deal with this reality. The reality that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Things are broken. There are just realities to that. But you do know there was a time when it wasn't like this. And so then he offers this plan. He says, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him and that his glory may dwell in our land. The word that gets used that he promises peace is actually that he speaks peace to his people. And if you're familiar with how God works is that it's through his speaking that actions occur. So creation is through his speaking. He brings life through speaking. And so God speaks peace to his people. The author of the psalm says, I know this reality. I know what could be when things are going good with God. The reality is right now it's not so good. God, will you always be angry? He says, well, this is my plan. I will listen to what you say. And I know what you say is that you promise peace if we don't go the other way. And so he sets out this plan of going, okay, when you're faced with this situation, this reality that things are not the way they're supposed to be, you as an individual can turn around and go, well, I am going to focus on what he says and not turn away from it. But the truth of this statement, this psalm, is it isn't for an individual, it's for a congregation. It's for us together. It's for a church in their context the nation of Israel, to go, let's turn away from our folly. Let's turn away from doing our own thing. Let's turn back to what God says. And that's how we will step forward from what we remember and what we're experiencing. Don't go back to it. Don't turn to your folly. Seek God and go to him. The word that gets used for dwell. Uh, speaks of the intimacy that God has for his people and his desire to be with them as well, that his glory will dwell in our land. He says, Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps." The psalmist has outlined this and says, here's my prayer. My prayer is I remember what God has done, how God has acted. And my plea is that he does it again because right now things aren't good. And my plan is that I will follow his ways and not go my own way. And he embraces the promise that God's promises are good. So the psalmist is writing out this expression for a community of believers to lament at the reality of things are not the way they're supposed to be. But God has a promise. And when we join with God, we can experience the promise that he has. We can experience the goodness he offers. We can experience his presence, that he will be with us. Throughout Scripture, that's the desire of God and of his people to be with God, for him to be our God, for us to reflect that. And the psalmist, as they write in their context and their situation, of saying, like, things are not the way they're supposed to be. But I can remember a time when it was good. What amazingly the psalmist doesn't do, he says, could you just do what you did before? Sometimes when we're in situations where things aren't going well, and especially when we think of, like, the context of, like, a church situation, we think, I remember the good old days. I remember the way it was before. And sometimes our plea with God is, God, could you just bring back the good old days? Can you just make it the way it used to be? But that's not the psalmist's desire. The psalmist's desire is to join with God and step forward into the future. The psalmist's desire is to say, God, I just want to be with you. Dwell with me. Not go backwards. Go forwards with me. See, the thing is that sometimes when we look at the good old days, whether we think in a church context or even a society context, usually the good old days isn't the good old days for somebody else. Some of us, we could look back at a time in our life where we think, yeah, life was so good then. Chances are it wasn't good for another group of people. There are no good old days. There's just what's to come. And the psalmist invites us to deepen our relationship with the creator of the universe, to recognize how he has acted in those good old days, to recognize the reality of our right now, that things aren't always the way they're supposed to be, and to step forward with him into a future that embodies the promise of good that he gives us. And so the psalmist lays it out like this, and he says, basically, there's four things for us to do in our relationship with him and understanding of how do we move forward into this. The first thing is that it begins with prayer. And for the psalmist, the prayer is a recollection of who God is and how he acted. We often forget this. In our prayers, sometimes it very much becomes, God, you know, thank you, but I need this. God, I need a favor. God, what about this? But for the psalmist, as many psalms, we should think of them as prayers. For the psalmist, it's a memory of, God, you've been faithful. God, you've acted this way. God, I know you. Our prayers should reflect that. I'm not saying don't ask for anything. You should ask for something. God is the giver of good gifts. But our prayers should also be a reflection of our admiration to God for who he is and what he's done. And so it starts with a prayer of remembering how he has acted in our lives. And then there's the plea. He asks, God, how long are you going to be angry? This honest, you know, gut feeling of saying, God, things are not right here. I know they could be better. How long is this going to go on for? How long are we facing the consequences of our actions? Which is really what the psalmist is saying. He's admitting to the reality that they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. God, how long will this go on for? When we face these situations that we've talked about many of these Psalms of lament is many times the question is how long? How long, Lord? How long will we go through this? How long do we sing this song? And as we embrace the questions of how long, we also need to make a plan to how to step through that. And the plan for the psalmist is that they will listen to what God says. And that is, what God says is there's promises of peace to his people and his faithful servants, and will not let them turn to folly. When we embrace the plan To listen to God, it means to not go a different direction. That is the reality of how sin became the issue that we get in Scripture. God says, this is what I made you for, and people said, hey, I like that fruit. Don't embrace the folly. Sometimes we have an idea that seems right to us, but it's not. First, we listen to what God says. That needs to be our plan. If we desire to see what could be, what we pray about, what we desire to see, the goodness of God, we need to have a plan that moves towards that direction, which includes and is essential to be listening to him. And finally, it's also just embracing the promises that God has for us. God has promises for your good. Jesus said he came to give us life in all of its fullness. A life in all of its fullness is not one that should be thinking about why is life so horrible? It should be embracing the good that God has for us. But embracing the good God has for us also means not embracing the good we want at times. And so the psalmist is inviting this community of faith to say, hey, you need to remember how God has acted. You need to present the reality of your situation that you have not been faithful you need to plead with him and have a plan to move out of it. And that plan means embracing his plan and desire for your life, to follow him. And as you embrace those promises, you experience them, that God is your God and he is with you. In the midst of this lament, which is a lament of the reality of their situation, there's a hopefulness of what could be. And for each of us, as individuals, but especially corporately, As a church, we need to embrace the promises God has for us. What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus? And I know not all of us are in the same place with our relationship with God, and that's okay. But what does it mean for us to go, hey, God, what do you have for us? What are your promises? And how do we move towards them as a community of faith? Not trying to go backwards, but keep moving forwards to what God has when we present ourselves to God, when we go to God, when we bring those prayers, those honest reflections of his goodness, when we offer those pleas, the desire for things to be made right that aren't always right, we follow his plan. We embrace his promises. And that's a direction to take to experience that life in the fullness that Jesus offers. So as we think through lament, let's not ignore hope. Let's embrace what we feel the reality that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, but also embrace that God has something more for you and more for us, that we need to follow his direction to get there. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are uh, the God of this psalm, the God who is the creator of the universe, the giver of good things, and the God who invites us to continuously be in a relationship with him. That through Jesus we have the opportunity or the privilege of knowing you. That you've offered us life in the fullness, all that we need, and so much more. But it is up to us to embrace that and to live a life that aligns with you. Just like the psalmist, Lord, we know when we look around in the world that things just aren't the way they should be. We know that things just um, are broken. There's a reality of sin in our personal lives, in our lives as a country, in our lives as a global nation. Sometimes it's easy to ignore that, God, but we also know that sin has its consequences, and those consequences are hard to ignore. I pray, Lord, that you remind us, remind us to embrace the hope you have, the desire you have for all people to come to know you, to come to know your saving grace and to live lives that reflect that around us. And God, I pray that as we strive to embrace that we turn away from those things that lead us away from you, those things that sometimes aren't even that bad, but they aren't right. Help us to recognize whatever they may be in our lives. Help us to turn away from sin whether we know of it or we don't. Help us to confess that sin. Help us to remember that you are a giver of good gifts and that your gifts are better than what we try to get for ourselves. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that our hearts are just moved to be closer to you and to know your presence around us and that through your presence, we find hope and healing and can embrace the life you have for us. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.